good news, everyone. We have a mission to further the noble cause of the Infinite World Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Infinite Worlds Podcast. I'm your host, Winston Ward, publisher of Infinite Worlds Magazine. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Nick the Tooth. Here we are, Winston, hey. back again. And dude, we are here. Now that I'm in Sicily, we're on a regular schedule. And as promised, we're here for the next week. Yes. It's actually one week since we recorded our last podcast in not one month. It's, it's, it's pretty exciting. It's exciting stuff. And okay. It is. This could be a better one to like kick off like the getting back on the schedule for me. Because last week, we did a pretty serious episode we got political we got sad negative there's good reason for that out in the world but not this episode this episode we're having fun and we're going to talk about something that i think a lot of listeners have probably been wanting is just the fun aspects of science fiction and what better way to do that than to talk about probably the most beloved science fiction cartoon of all time futurama i know i know i'm stoked you know i'm, I'm such a simpsons fan and i've watched Me a too. lot of futurama but I'm I'm really pumped because I'm going to be able to learn so much about the show because this is like your favorite freaking show, right? I won't go too much into the history of this one because I don't think this episode's really about history so much. But one of the first loves I ever had on television and one of my first I know more about that than anybody I know things was The Simpsons. When I was a kid, The Simpsons was a big smash hit on television and it really spoke to me. It really spoke to me because... And it's this very simple reason, I think, and it's the same reason I like Futurama. It's because Matt Groening, the creator of The Simpsons, the creator of Futurama, the creator of Life in Hell and Disenchantment, he respects his audience. That's why it took me a long time to realize this. But Matt Groening makes jokes that you don't necessarily get right away. And he knows that. He makes references to things that you have to look up. And for me, as a kid, that was a huge mind-opening thing that... I'd watch television and they weren't spoon feeding me. They'd make a reference to something that if I didn't know it, they weren't going to explain it on the episode. So I'd have to go look it up on my own. And it made me an independent thinker. Ah. And I have so much love and so much admiration for Matt Groening because he took this approach to comedy. And I, I, I'll say it outright. I'll say it outright. Matt Groening is the greatest comedic voice of the past hundred years. And that's my opinion. I know everybody has their own opinions, obviously, but that's how I feel about Matt Grading. I have a Simpsons tattoo on my leg. Some of you won't get it, but I'll, okay, I have a Millpool tattoo on my leg. Most people aren't going to get that, but there's an episode of The Simpsons where The Simpsons get a pool, and right away, Bart breaks his leg, has to put a cast on his leg, can't get in the pool. As he's like lounging in the shade, you know, hoping all those friends will still hang out with him instead of just playing in the pool. He's trying to get people to sign his cast. And his best friend, Milhouse comes by and he's like, oh, you'll hang out with me in the shade, right, Milhouse? And Milhouse is extremely distracted. He's like, oh, I think I left my glasses in the pool. And uh, Bart's like, you're wearing your glasses. And, and he is wearing his glasses. But he's like, uh, no, I'm not. And then he goes and gets in the pool. Then Bart looks down at his cast and he's written Millpool on his cast <laughs> because he just can't, can't get his mind off of it. It's just a stupid throwaway joke. That's what I love about The Simpsons, too, is they, they make jokes that are silly, absurdist jokes. They make insightful jokes, and they make really goddamn smart jokes. So it's a show that like a lot of people can love on a lot of different levels, and I grew up with that. 
I'm a big fan. I'm like most people my age where I think the first 10 seasons of The Simpsons are incredible. And then after that, it has a pretty clear decline in quality. What's so crazy about The Simpsons, though, I think is that what I learned uh, is that it's like a writing institution in the sense that they grab like all these Harvard grads sure, from yeah. like National Lampoon, right? It is like the creme de la creme of comedic writing, like after Harvard Lampoon, right? Well, at least at one time it was looked at that way. I don't know who's show running these days. I don't know who's in charge these days. And I haven't watched that many recent episodes. Although the truth is I'll occasionally put on an episode from like one of the late seasons. And typically I do laugh. Typically, I'm like, okay, I hate too much on the late seasons. This is still pretty funny. But it doesn't quite speak to me the way the prime seasons do. I kind of call it the Conan O'Brien era of The Simpsons. For those that don't know, Conan O'Brien was one of the staff writers on The Simpsons during their heyday. Exactly. And he went to Harvard, right? Yeah. And he's a Harvard grad and, you know, clearly one of the smartest comedy guys around. And he's been in comedy. He got his own shows and everything. He's kind of like that, where he has sort of intellectual comedy. And I think that's something that Matt Groening brought to the stage is intellectual comedy kind of wrapped in a coat of absurdity. Okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interject here with a little life story, okay? Okay, let's hear it, man. That I'm into it. Very relevant. When I, after I graduated from college, I moved to Los Angeles, okay? And I was really young, 21 years old. Um, this is probably like 1990. One, I would say 1992. And I ended up hook, uh, working for as uh, like an assistant to a woman who was, she represented uh, cartoonist and she represented John Callahan was her, one of her big clients. Okay. And, uh, and John Callahan was the handicap. They actually did a movie. I think it was Joaquin with Joaquin Phoenix. He's a handicap cartoonist, kind of like life in hell. Right. Well, mm -hmm. here's the crazy thing. She used to represent Matt Groening. And wow. so I met Matt Groening many, many times. No. Oh, yeah, back then. Yeah, this was back at the launch of freaking The Simpsons. What was your impression of meeting him in person? Even at that time, he was already, The Simpsons was already really blown up. And, and I'm so close with her. She and I talk all the time. She's actually the godmother of my daughter. Oh, wow. And so, uh, yeah, so uh, so that's how close we are. And that's why Matt met Matt many times. He lived in Venice, California, um, right by Santa Monica. And so we would see him walking or go by or whatever. And he was just, you know, this big affable guy. And he was really cool and very nice and totally unaffected. Very cool. And I was very starstruck because, I mean, I love The Simpsons. I remember <laughs> watching Tracy Ullman show with my mom and seeing all of a sudden in the middle, there was this intermission when I saw the first Simpsons skit. And it's so, it's cool. It's on YouTube. And I know you've probably seen it. Um, some of them. And they're so different, right? The characters oh, yes, are yes. not fleshed out like they are now. Like Homer is so angry compared yeah, to, you know. Angry and dim-witted even in a different way than he eventually became. He always stayed dim-witted 
but he developed a sort of like everyman charm while staying yes. dim-witted. You know, he could be eloquent. But he was not, he, yeah, he was like, just angry then. <laughs> now The Simpsons has basically been reduced to a meme in a lot of respects. But one of the great memes is replacing scenes from later episodes of The Simpsons, like famous episodes with the Tracy Ullman characters, like the really crudely drawn and clumsy characters. Yeah. <laughs> but even then, even in those episodes, you could see the seeds of what it would become. You know, you could see the smart ideas. Winston, I remember telling my mom, they got to make a show out of this. This is the funniest shit I've ever seen. Because, you know, growing up on animation and loving animation from Looney Tunes to every, you know, we're kids. We grew up, we're right. the cartoon generation, right. right? Absolutely. We all love animation. So, you know, growing up on animation and then seeing that, and then, you know, at 12 or 13, seeing heavy metal. Yeah. Simpsons occupied a space that it, I had never seen occupied, you know, that yeah. is, was this irreverent. Heavy metal was like that, but Simpsons was very different. Heavy metal isn't really a comedy. You know, there are, there's funny things in heavy metal, but it's not really a comedy type situation. And The Simpsons is strictly comedy, you know? And even though it's got yeah. episodes with more heart than many movies I've seen, but it's still, you know, at, at its core, a comedy series. Okay, so I'm one of the people that is of the opinion that The Simpsons started to sort of decline after about the ninth, tenth season, somewhere in there. And like I said before, I still find exceptions to that constantly. But I think, personally think, that one of the reasons that that happened, which this show I loved, one of my favorite shows ever, but I have to speak the truth, is because I think Matt Groening's attention started to waver from The Simpsons when he birthed the idea for Futurama. Futurama debuted in 1999, but he, Matt Groening got the idea to start the show somewhere in like the mid-90s, like 95 or so. And one of the big inspirations to do the show was his friendship with Phil Hartman. I know there are young people who listen to the show and aren't like familiar with some of the comedy of the previous century. At this point, it's been more than a quarter century since he died. But Phil Hartman was a Saturday Night Live regular. In my opinion, one of the funnier people ever, but he played several voices on The Simpsons. Lionel Hutz, the bumbling attorney, Troy McClure, the over-the-hill movie star. And Matt Groening really loved working with Phil as a voice actor. And he created the character of Zap Brannigan, who I will circle back around to for sure, one of the funniest characters of all time, and definitely fits into our sci-fi talk, for Phil Hartman to do that voice. It wasn't his only starting point, but developed the show around that. And Phil Hartman was murdered. For those who don't know the story, sometime in, the, like, I think it was 1997 or 1998, Phil Hartman was murdered by his wife in a murder-suicide. And I think it was like a drug-induced thing. Just rocked the world. Yeah, it was the like tabloid freaking... Yeah, it was insane. And it's a real damn shame because I think that he's one of the transcendent talents of that era. That's, that era of Saturday Night Live had so many famous people on it. You know, it had Mike yeah. Myers and Adam Sandler and on and on. And I could do this all day. It had so many famous people on it. And Phil Hartman sort of flew under the radar and this like really stacked all-star cast. But they all were like, this is the funniest guy on the cast. You know, everybody thought that uh, of that cast. You know, they were all like, okay, you're, there's something hilariously special about this. He was, he was on news radio with oh, yeah, uh, news radio. Joe Rogan. Oh, man, he's hilarious on that too. What ended up happening was is that Matt Groening had already spent so much time in development that he decided to just go forward with the idea and 
he recast Billy West as that Brannigan, and Billy West does the voice of the main character, Philip Fry. And Philip Fry is named Philip as an homage to Phil Hartman. So if you guys didn't know that, that is a that is a thing. So uh, it's very endearing in that way, and it's also bittersweet. But that's the last sad stuff we're going to do. Well, maybe not quite the last. <laughs> okay, 1999, this show premieres. Do you remember when it premiered? I do not because I don't know uh, if I saw the premiere. I was stoked about it, and I think I watched like a few episodes, but I don't really remember watching the premiere like I do remember watching The Simpsons. Okay, so back in the 90s, I was a big TV kid. I love The Simpsons. I love Mystery Science 3, 3000. I loved the early Adult Swim stuff, uh, Space Ghost Coast to Coast, The Critic, tons of animated stuff. You know, I was in my teens and I got really excited about Futurama coming out. They did a TV guide. We, I used to get TV guides. That's something that this generation, the, the younger generation, that they're not going to understand that. But there used to be a paper guide to what was going to be on TV, like you'd buy, and this was the TV schedule. And it also had interviews and stories about different programs and that kind of thing. But I used to go get TV guide all the time because I thought of TV as an interest of mine, like examining all the new shows that would come out and seeing, or at least the ones that look interesting to me to see if they were interesting. And I really liked the critic for that reason because, you know, I'm a fucking critical asshole, so I like to be critical. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like really like on the edge of my seat for Futurama. And for me, it didn't disappoint at all. The first season of Futurama is not the best season of Futurama. I don't think it's the worst season of Futurama either, but I was immediately hooked on this show. I do remember it catching, like really getting its legs after the second season. I think the second and third season are probably the strongest seasons of the show, but I also haven't sat down recently and looked at the episode list from all the seasons. There's another thing about Futurama. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sort of take a different approach to this episode after this little bit here, so just bear with me. Okay. So Futurama is notorious for being canceled. Really? Uh, This show's had several different runs. This is just a little fact about this show. It went for four seasons initially on Fox and then got canceled. Okay. In like 2003. Okay. Then it was then picked up by Comedy Central and they produced a regular season of the show first. Then for the sixth season this would be the sixth season they produce four feature-length movies and the way they do this is like each movie is roughly two hours long and they break each movie into episodes like produce the movies in such a way that they're like done as episodes wow and the four movies are pretty interesting standalone movies pretty much all of them make me laugh but especially bender's big score the first of the fourth and then they're kind of like aired as individual episodes and then they get canceled by comedy central two They've been off the air for 10 years at this point. They got syndicated a couple of different times. Sci-Fi syndicated the show. FXX syndicated the show. But now they're coming back again. No way. Hulu has now ordered 20 episodes that are coming out in 2023. Oh my God. And for a while, it didn't appear that it was going to have one of their main stars, John DiMaggio, who plays Bender, return. He's like my fan favorite. And, you know, there's some controversy there. They were going to go forward without him or recast him. Why? Just contract issues? He was fighting for bigger pay, I think. Don't quote me on that because I don't know for sure. Yeah, I'm sure that's what it was. At some point, it's like, dude, I need to get paid. After 25 years, I need to get paid. The negotiations and John DiMaggio did officially rejoin the cast. And so they're making a whole new season with the original cast. Wow. And there might be more after that. So the show keeps going away and coming back. So that's just kind of like an important detail, I think, for this show. Um, Okay. I had no idea. I didn't know. I thought that it had like this long, continuous run. I had no idea. 
How many seasons have there been so far? Seven seasons, if you count the four movies as a season of the show. Okay. Which, you know, some people do and some people don't. Okay. I said earlier that I was going to try a different format with this episode or try something a little different. Uh Uh-huh. Here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to just kind of talk about the individual characters of this show. Okay. Kind of go through them as a list and see how people like that. Of course, the show is based around Philip J. Fry, who's played by Billy West. And Philip is a slacker, grew up in the 80s. It's 1999 now. He's like in his 30s, kind of a dim-witted dude. It took an hour to write. I thought it would take an hour to read. But generally kind of good-natured guy. Pizza delivery guy, a loser is what he is. (laughs) He ends up on New Year's Eve, 1999, accidentally being cryogenically frozen in a cryo chamber. I remember that. And wakes up 1,000 years in the future in the year 3000. And this is basically the premise of this show. And he wakes up on New Year's Day, just after New Year's Eve in the year 3000, and has to adjust to life in the distant future. Quick aside is that I uh, love the idea of setting a show in the future, this a comedy in the future this way, because it makes it no holds barred. Which is, it, that was true of The Simpsons too, you know what I mean? They didn't stick to any sort of reality. Things happened outside of like a normal reality all the time on The Simpsons. But by setting it in the distant future, everything, every detail could be wild and crazy. You know what I mean? They could have anything they want happen because it's the future. It's just an excuse to make any sort of idea appear on screen. And keeping with that, one of the first people he encounters is an employee at the cryogenics lab of the future named Taranga Leela, character's Leela, and she has one eye, you know, and that's her big thing. And nobody at first knows why she has a big eye. And Leela is, you know, a very strong super capable, independent woman. She's a pilot. She's not usually a very good pilot, but that's because she has no depth perception. And, uh, <laughs> but she's a badass in most ways. I don't know about your previous captains, but I intend to do as little dying as possible. She's played by Katie Sagal, who is one of the most endearing actors. In the Peggy world. Bundy, yeah, right? Who was also Peggy Bundy in another show I loved when I was growing up, Married with Children. Greatest show ever. <laughs> yeah, a terrific TV show. <laughs> And he also meets a wisecracking, chain-smoking, degenerate, gambling, whoremongering, lying, cheating, thieving robot named Bender Bending Rodriguez. The Rodriguez joke being that he was assembled in Mexico. I'm going to go build my own theme park with blackjack and hookers. In fact, forget the park. And this is played by John DiMaggio, who obviously everybody knows as Bender, but also known as Jake the Dog from Adventure Time, which that one might be a little bit past your time, or whatever. It's kind of a, it was a kid show when I was an adult, but bro, give it a chance if you if you have Adventure Time is one of my favorite oh, TV shows ever. It is one of the best TV shows of all time ever. Incredible TV show. It does my heart some good to hear you say that, man, because I love that. Oh my God, dude. Not only did I work for a artist rep as far as cartoonists, I worked on Ren and Stimpy. I was in animation. Unlike the other shows we're discussing today, this show is designed and marketed mainly towards young people. Yeah, but I'm such a stoner from like fucking forever. And not only that, so I love animation, and I had a kid. Right? Oh, yeah, true that. True that. Anything she watched, not only did I watch it, I watched it 10 million times. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, we, I would watch animation with her from Spirited Away to freaking, you know what I mean? To any kind of, to Disney, 
to Mulan to, you know, to Adventure Time, we would sit and watch that again and again. Ah, so good, Adventure Time. One of my favorite shows ever. If you're an older listener and you always thought that's kid stuff, get rid of that notion and watch the show. Like, if you can watch the first season of that show and not absolutely be in love with it, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. It's got so much heart. But that's a little bit of an aside. John DiMaggio, you know, played characters on both show, and they're both excellent, excellent characters. The other person Fry meets when he goes to the year 3000 is his great, 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 greatest grand nephew, who is like a crackpot mad scientist, Professor Farnsworth. And an excellent trope just makes fun of the mad scientist trope over and over and over and over again. Well, as a man enters his 18th decade, he thinks back on the mistakes he's made in life. Like the heaps of dead monkeys? Science cannot move forward without heaps. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this this way, to talk to you guys about the characters, because most of the characters on this show are tropes. It's true on The Simpsons as well. And that's another reason that the comedy is so effective. The characters portray whole, like I say, tropes. He also meets Professor Farnsworth's longtime personal doctor, John Zoidberg, who is a humanoid crab. Earth, what a planet. On Earth, you enjoy eating a tasty clam. On my planet, clams enjoy eating a tasty you. And he is like a caricature of Jewish comedy like the whole history of Jewish comedy. He sort of uh, embodies that. Oh, I love that. There's even an episode where his uncle is a parody of Harold Lloyd's old silent film comedy. So like it really leans on that history of Jewish comedy. A big joke is that he's shellfish, so he's not kosher, you know? Uh, (laughs) I obviously am very aware of anti-Semitism, but to me, it always struck me that Zoidberg is like a love letter to Jewish comedy. Oh, that's so cool. Next is Zap Brannigan, and he is a general in the military democratic order of planets, dupe. And he is more or less a parody of somewhere between Captain Kirk and also the uh, space opera heroes of the early 20th century, too. As my protege, you should know that the only way to deal with a female adversary is to seduce her. This time we are sure she's a woman, right? He's sort of a mix of all of the overly machismo characters of early science fiction lore. Like the big, bombastic, brash, sexist as shit, early like <laughs> sci-fi heroes. And he is the ultimate lampoon of that because he is such a beautiful idiot. He's so inept and cowardly and idiotic and loathsome. We fight this battle not for ourselves, but for our children and our children's children, which is why I'm forming a children's brigade. And it's so fucking funny. One of the reasons I love the show so much is Zap Brannigan, because as Infinite Worlds and everything, I try to distance our brand and our image. I don't like to say brand so much, but our ideals from that part of science fiction. You know, I don't like to celebrate Yeah those guys so much because they've gotten enough attention, you know what I mean? And they kind of represent some obsolete ways of thinking. And Matt Groening saw that too. It made me love Matt Groening even more because it was clear because that character was sort of like at the root of the creation of this show, but it was clear that he felt that way too. You know, that he had the idea that he saw the sexist ideas in early science fiction and decided to turn them on their ear. So I really love Zap Grant again. That's one of my favorite characters. He's got some of the best quotes and he's just such an idiot. His first 
officer, uh, assistant maybe, he keeps promoting him and demoting him all the time, is Kiff Croker, who's like a frog-like, lizard-like, green-skinned alien from Amphibious 9. And he's extremely weak-willed and, you know, he's endearing in that way, but probably not my favorite character on the show. <sighs> then there's, I'm, I'm going to skip a few characters here and there. I don't want to name every character. There's just too many to go through. Dude, they have had so many characters, right? I mean, that's one of the things it's known for. The show has so many characters. I'm not going to be able to go through all of these characters, but we're only halfway into this episode now, so I'll get a little ways into it. But I'll go back if I feel like I uh, have time and I've gotten over the ones I really want to talk about. But Okay, next is Calculon, who is a robot voiced by Maurice LaMarche, who does tons of work for Matt Groening voice-wise. And Calculon is a parody of bad actors. You know, they say that about bad actors that they're mechanical or they're too mechanical or too robotic. And he is a robot. You know what I mean? And he's just this overtop, cheesy, self-important actor. And he's kind of like Matt Groening's cup check to like Hollywood self-importance. It all began one fateful night a thousand years ago. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're a thousand years old? Your bio says you're 27. Lies. Calculon's got a lot of really, really, really funny moments as well. Morbo, the Annihilator, also voiced by Maurice LaMarche, is a alien conqueror that broadcasts the news, but can't help but in interrupting his news reporting with exclamations that the human race is doomed. Next, new New York in crisis. Morbo? Thanks, human female. Puny earthlings were shocked today to learn that a ball of garbage will destroy their pathetic city of new New York. Makes me glad we live here in Los Angeles. Morbo agrees. <laughs> He's kind of like done up like a 1950s science fiction movie, a real classic alien style. And he's partner with Linda, who is literally just a normal fluff newswoman, like on daytime news that you'd see today. You know, she's just suffering at the side of terrifying Morbo, but also laughing together with him because, you know, no matter how much they hate each other in their life or no matter how much they don't get along, the fake relationships that these broadcasters have with each other, you know, and it's sort of a parody of that. Then, of course, there's Scruffy, the janitor. My job, toilets and boilers, boilers and toilets, plus that one boiling toilet. Fire me if you dare. So let me ask you something. When you would watch the shows, would you, because you were such a consistent, like, viewer, were you, like, anticipating that these characters would come back? I mean, obviously, there are so many characters that he threw in here, like The Simpsons, but I think even more. I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? I mean, think about Star Trek. There are not that many characters, right? You know, OG Star Trek or Next Generation. There's not that many characters. What this show does differently is that it has a gigantic cast. Okay. There are all these characters that keep reappearing, you know? Star Trek probably had as many or maybe even more characters than Futurama all told because there'd be six or seven new characters in this episode and then you would never see them again. They're not recurring characters. So as far as recurring characters go, they have a gigantic cast. And The Simpsons, it's like The Simpsons in that way too, because my impression of their writing style is that every time he wants to embody a certain part of human nature and human culture, uh -huh. he creates a character to represent that. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to embody that idea. Yeah. In The Simpsons, you got Barney the alcoholic. You've got Principal Skinner the uptight, cloistered mama's boy. The well-meaning but annoying religious guy. Ned. Yeah. Exactly. So they try to do the same thing with Futurama. They don't try. They successfully do the same thing with Futurama. But I think even more so because it's not just human qualities they have to embody anymore. Now it's 
any quality they can think of at all. They've got like the robots. Dr. Zoidberg is a crab for Pete's sake. I think he wanted to open up the possibilities as I kind of like move on from the Simpsons to open up the possibilities. Okay, so there's a bunch of family members of all the characters. I'm going to skip that list for now. Then it goes on to the antagonists on this list. I think the bad guys on Futurama are possibly even funnier than the good guys on Futurama. You always talk about how great villains make a great show. I think that applies to comedy too. Oh, yeah. You know, I think that, that that's true of comedy. Yeah. The main antagonist is Mom. And Mom is an ultimate takedown of capitalism and Machiavellian business practices. She's the owner of Mom Corp, and it's a huge multi-galaxy corporation that makes all sorts of stuff, including all the robots. And it has like a monopoly on everything. And she's the head of the company and presents herself as a kind and considerate and loving, sweet old lady. But then as soon as she's off camera, she turns into a ruthless, cutthroat, mean-natured, pitiless profit monger that'll do anything at all to get what she wants. And they use her so often to make fun of corporate nature. They do Monsanto. They do Apple. But don't take my word for it. UnbiasedReviews.mom says Twitcher is the killer app. And when I say killer app, I mean killer app. (laughs) And they just basically parody all of these different corporate things by using Mom as like the avatar for that. It's really a brilliant character. You also have the Omicronians, who are a race of invading aliens that are giant, scary-looking monsters, but really are like super sensitive on the inside and struggle with all sorts of like regular mundane human problems, too. I humbly beg you to return my human horn. What? Uh, human horn? Huh. How ridiculous. Why would a virile male like Lure need human horn? Uh, I don't even know what it's for. What is it, something you, you put in salad dressing? Like you've ever seen a salad. My weight is appropriate and attractive. They're generally pretty funny. The Robot Mafia, which is, honestly, that, that's the Donbot, Joey Mousepad, and Clamps. They are some of the funnier characters on the TV show, too. I beg you, I can't make this week's loan payment. Look into your hard drive and open your mercy file. File not found. Very similar to the Simpsons Mafia in comedy style. Like, almost identical. Yeah. So I have a question. It's just occurred to me. Like, we're such emotional creatures above all else, right? Human beings. And so sometimes I will... Like I gravitate towards if I want to work out, I'll grab, I'll listen to heavy metal. Sure. If I'm chilling, I want to listen to Miles Davis. If I'm, you know, whatever kind of music, you know, sometimes I'll put on like the funk, whatever. And, but I'm also like that a lot with, it's almost like this futuristic television is this futuristic like mood changer. Like I, I watch Next Generation religiously because I love the chill mood it puts me in, right? Yeah, There's very even in the exciting conflict. episodes. Yeah, it's like it does this neurological thing to me that just puts me in this state where I love it. I love Next Generation for that reason. And that's the same reason I'm really digging Strange New Worlds. I love the whole Pike thing. I, would, really I, uh, I can't wait to see it. It's, I, I know i got to get a Paramount uh, Plus to see it, but this is a quick Star Trek aside, folks. Sorry, we have to do a Star Trek aside per episode. Yeah. That's <laughs> Every like the, episode. The, the unwritten rule, apparently. You know, I've been saying, I've been watching through all the series, you know, in order. And I'm just at the end of Deep Space Nine now. I have like half a season left of Deep, Deep Space Nine. 
And then I've got quite a bit of episodes of Star Trek from various series before I get to Strange New Worlds. And I got to say, I have a lot of anticipation for that because it's getting such great reviews. It's so good, man. I'm glad that they're making all these other different types of Star Trek series. I can't wait to watch all of them, but I'm really excited for this one because that original vibe has not quite been recaptured yet. I think they did a pretty good No, it hasn't. Like, I watched Picard and I fell off it hard, man. Well, I I watched like two episodes of Picard before I started watching everything in order and I was like, I gotta go back and make sure I know every single thing about Star Trek before I keep going with the series. Mm. So that's what I'm doing now. Well, I think circling back to my question though is like, you know, what kind of mood does this put you in when you watch, you know, being such a recurring viewer what does Futurama do for you? Like, what is it, you know, like the OG Star Trek and Next Generation challenge me because they do deal with, you know, social issues, but it's in a way that it's like, yeah, that's rad, you know? So what does Futurama do for you? Futurama also deals with these political issues, but in a very like, you know, humorous, low-key kind of way. It's not a particularly political show, although it's, you know, clearly they do have some politics. I'll get to that in just one moment. But for me... What it is is just makes me feel good and happy because it's so endearing. And this and The Simpsons. And it has a ton of replay value. That's a comment I was going to make later on, but I'll just go ahead and say it now. That's one of the reasons I love both Futurama and The Simpsons so much is because compared to other comedy series, it has a ton of replay value. I'll watch episodes that I've watched 20 times and then get a joke that I didn't even know was a joke. The last, uh, yeah. the, the last 20 times I do it because they write really smart jokes sometimes and hide them in plain sight. And if you don't know... It's what, very literary in that sense. Yeah, and if you're not familiar with what's being referenced, you don't even see that there is a joke. Yeah, It always interests me. I have this really bad habit of when my wife and I are walking around, I'll, I'll just like laugh. And she'd be like, what was that? And I was like, okay, now you're going to have to let me tell you about a 30-second long scene from Futurama now because you're not as familiar with it as I am, so I'm going to have to take you through the whole scene. (laughs) Because just thinking about it later, I'm like, that's so clever. That's so funny. I wish I could write jokes like that. By the the way, I can't write jokes like that. It's not me. I like jokes, but if it's not a meme, I can't make a joke. Okay, I hope that answers your question. No, it does, yeah. It's very much a comfort food, but it's something that when you revisit it, it keeps surprising you. I really like that about it. And like I said, I've watched No, so dude, many- that's like my favorite kind of sci-fi. It's very elusive. It's hard to find. It's, uh, especially in books, like I really struggle. Like Ready Player One, the first one, had a lot of that. It was so yeah, fun that's, and cool. Yeah, yeah, that was really, right? that was really I, yeah, I just finished Ready Player Two. I've actually. read that. I've read that like five times. And that's- Exactly my point is that I think he picked up on early that if you want somebody to like a show, make references everybody gets. If you make want somebody to make to love a show, make references that you don't get initially or that not everybody gets. Yeah. Because then you kind of feel special for understanding it. You feel like you've earned something by getting the joke. Dude, it's one of the reasons I love the brief wondrous life about of Oscar Wilde because it's so sci-fi laden, but it's just all these like really esoteric references. This is one I haven't read. I know it's been recommended before. It's one of the greatest ever, man. Okay. It's so well, good. Shortlist that one. You'll like it because that's exactly what it does. Where you're like, I don't get that. And he doesn't give a shit. He don't explain anything. 
you got to go look it up. That's like become a thing now. Like I wanted a smartphone as soon as they existed. I wasn't able to afford one initially, but I got one as soon as possible because the idea that if I didn't know it, I could just look it up right then. Uh, I'm that guy. I am definitely that guy. Oh, me too. I'll Google it. I'm going to Google it. I'm going to look it up because I want to yeah. know. I recognize that I'm never going to know everything. It's just like impossible. I probably not even know like a fraction of the things, but if I'm able to find out when I want to know, I, I'm going to do that. That's why I like these shows is because when I didn't get it the first time, I looked it up. And now when I watch it again, I get it now. And it is like a rewarding experience. Yeah. Okay, so I was saying before, let's get back to the show. Uh, I was saying before that the show doesn't get that political, even though it does, you know, here and there. It's not like an especially political show, except for one of the best villains ever written is the head of Richard Nixon, who is the president of Earth. Well, listen here, Missy. Computers may be twice as fast as they were in 1973, but your average voter is as drunk and stupid as ever. The only one who's changed is me. I've become bitter, and let's face it, crazy over the years. And once I'm swept into office, I'll sell our children's organs to zoos for meat, and I'll go into people's houses at night and wreck up the place. <laughs> and it's so funny, man. It, like, you know how we talk about the decline of the Republican Party, basically since Richard Nixon. I, it, you know, of course, it's Reagan that everybody puts the blame on. But Richard Nixon and his, his people, Roger Ailes, and these political movers, they started the ball rolling in that direction. Oh, for you sure. know, and he was a disgrace. And they're just like, you know what? That is such a terrible person, historically speaking, that let's just cut him out of time and take him to the future. And even then, he will still be a terrible person. And, you know, like oh, a, a, terrible uh, person. Yeah. a menace. <laughs> uh, you know, a menace. Even then, amongst all these aliens and everything, he's still a menace. And it's great because Richard Nixon's head is often accompanied by his vice president. Sometimes it's his vice president. Sometimes it's just like his bodyguard or something. And that's the headless body of his actual vice president, Spiro Agnew. It's a funny joke because there's a headless body and a bodiless head traveling together. And there's no real reason why they can't, you know, just form one unit. But <laughs> the headless body of Spiro Agnew doesn't even have a personality. It's just like Frankenstein's monster. It's just like, stumbling around blindly and smashing into stuff. Oh, I love it. Again, a great tool to kind of poke fun at the right wing without calling out individual current political leaders. Yeah, yeah. There's one other great villain that I want to talk about, and that's the robot devil. I am just so in love with the idea of the robot devil and robot hell. No, Ben. Robot hell is quite real. Here's our brochure. The robot devil is such a weird, weird character. He's so funny. And I don't know. It's kind of hard to describe this character, but he's played by Dan Castellaneta for the most part. And that's the voice of Homer Simpson. Wow. So far as I know, it's Castellaneta's only role on the show. But he is a great, hilarious character. He's like exhausted in a lot of respects. His schemes keep not working out. and He's just so tired of everything. <laughs> he's consistently annoyed and like bored with everything. Oh, there's also a robot preacher on the show. So they kind of like take their jabs at like religion and that stuff that way through like these robotic versions of it. Like, you know, hell is an actual mechanical place where you could be like put on a conveyor belt and stuff. And, uh, you know, we talked about the head of Richard Nixon and that kind of leads me to another point, And that is if they do put current celebrities in the show and current celebrities do appear on Futurama, you know, current to when the show was being made, but they're just the head of that person who's still alive, their head is just alive in a jar. Like they have the heads of the Beastie Boys, they have the heads of Beck, Jonathan Frakes, Leonard Nimoy, 
tons of other characters. They just explain them still being alive by them being heads in jars. So they can have celebrity appearances and it makes in-universe sense. Not that there's any reason for them to try to make sense of anything because everything's upside down and backwards in Futurama world. Just a few other things I want to mention, and then we could talk about maybe if there's some episodes you particularly like. Okay. There are two characters I also like. One is Hedonism Bot. And Hedonism Bot has got like the Roman laurels headdress kind of thing yeah, going on. Yeah, I love that dude. He himself is like a chaise lounge. He's like shaped like a chaise lounge. Yes. And he is constantly overly decadent and everything. Ah, Fry, congratulations. Your latest performance was as delectable as dipping my bottom over and over into a bath of the silkiest oils and cream. That character is really, really funny. I just wanted to give him a shout out because I just love that character. It's so I love him. He's yeah, so funny. I remember him. And then yeah, one other sure. character I wanted to point out is Hypnotoad which I think is one of the most genius ideas for a joke ever written. And Hypnotoad is the number one show on TV, and all it is is a toad that stares at you with its eyes moving, and everyone who watches the show is completely hypnotized and can't look away. And, you know, it's been on for years, and it's never anything but... That's such a great idea, because it just parodies television in general. It doesn't matter what's oh there. God, it's yeah. just hypnotizing. You're staring at the screen with your mind empty. Yeah, hypnotize me. I want you to hypnotize yeah, Yes, I want me. you to hypnotize me. You know what's a trip is that, you know, having worked in animation, I, I, I was shocked that these episodes, they, I thought, I think Matt Graney talked about how, you know, from the time they start writing to the time they air, each episode takes like a year to produce. That doesn't surprise me. It doesn't That's surprise insane. me. One of the reasons I say that that doesn't surprise me is because we talked earlier about the writing on The Simpsons being all of these Harvard-educated like comedy writers. Well, one of the things that makes Futurama amazing is that they don't just hire the comedy writers. They also hire like mathematicians and scientists to sit in so that all of these hyper-intellectual references make it into the episode. So that no scientific or futuristic idea that could end up in an episode gets left, you know, no stone gets left unturned. I think I saw that, that there was even like a math theorem. Yes, there's an episode where the mathematicians they hired invented a math theorem and then made an episode based on the math theorem. Wow. It's a body swapping episode. It's a hilarious episode of (laughs) Futurama. So it's like total nerd fucking heaven. I love it. It's nerd heaven. And it makes jokes about sports and other stuff too so it's not just you have to only like math and stuff it does all yeah, these math and science one of yeah. my favorite jokes is they go to a planet that where it's the robot leonardo da vinci and they go back to his home planet and it's like a robot planet the robot leonardo da vinci is talking to fry and he's like our entire planet is one gigantic university and then fry of course is like how's your football team because you know he's a, a dopey Amer- <laughs> american and he, when he hears the word university and then, uh, and then but the, the robot so Leonardo awesome. goes, learned. <laughs> <laughs> because intellectual things are all that matters to him. I'm a sports fan, you know what I mean? I want to know what their football team is up to, too. You know, I like sports. And I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast probably get a little disappointed to hear me say that because, you know, there's the constant nerd versus jock. Believe it or not, I'm not a sports fan. I don't watch any sports. You watch fight sports. Yeah, only because I was kind of thrust into that world, but I hated it before even then. You're actually an athlete, though. Yeah, I know. It's weird. It's (laughs) fucking, it's so weird, but I've never, like, even I played football in high school and I never watched an NFL game. Well, never from start to finish have I ever watched an NFL game. 
the core of it for me is I just like human ability. I like people to express themselves. And some people do it athletically. You know what I mean? So I like watching contests of athleticism because I'm like, oh, look, this person can do this incredible thing. And I think that happens in every sport. I watch every sport. I watch, and I know like you guys are like, uh, I, I watch golf. That's <laughs> dead serious, guys. I watch golf. But it's so funny. Like people would think I'm like the sports guy and I'm like not the sports <laughs> guy. And you're, they would think you're not the sports Man, guy. Man, when the Olympics come around, guy, I get excited. It. You know what I mean? Wow. I'm a huge hockey fan. A few of you might know this about me, but I'm a gigantic hockey fan. I have a Boston Bruins tattoo on my inner arm and never miss a game. I watch all of their games. Wow. Yeah, some people who are, even are sports fans are going to be disappointed to hear me say that I'm a Boston Bruins fan. Well, you know what? Suck it. Uh, go be, <laughs> go black and gold. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the reason I think all this is because I think this is my general philosophy on life. Uh, I've got a lot of philosophies, guys. But one of my general philosophies is the more <laughs> interested you are, the more interesting you are. For sure. And yeah. I just, that, that's how I try to live my life. I take interest in lots of things. I've got favorites. Everybody has favorites, but I give everything a chance to try to become interested in it because, you know, try to experience as much as you can. It's life. You only get one of them. Oh, God. Yeah, for sure. I feel like remiss to not name a few episodes that I really enjoy. Yeah, let me hear them. A really famous one is Roswell That Ends Well. And this was their parody of Back to the Future. At least they do parody Back to the Future. And this is a time travel paradox episode where. The Planet Express crew ends up going back to the 1940s and crashing in Roswell, New Mexico, and they are the UFO that crashed in Roswell. That's how that's explained. Dr. Zoidberg is captured. He's the alien that they capture. And it's a great, incredible parody of 1940s America and like old-timey American ideas and culture. And the short story of the episode is that Fry ends up having sex with his own grandmother, <laughs> and is his own grandfather oh my God. that becomes canon through the rest of the series is that fry is his own grandfather oh my God. that's fact it's not like oh. it's explained away later on that. or retconned oh god i love it I that's love a it. you know a pretty well liked episode a character i forgot to mention from the main cast is hermes conrad he's a jamaican bureaucrat because in the future being a bureaucrat is a profession and businesses have to have a bureaucrat who is there to do bureaucracy and, you know, literally just paperwork and stamping. And it's very Brazil. Yeah, it's my life. I love it. It's because in the future, society has just lifted bureaucracy into its entire own pantheon. And he's hilarious because he makes a ton of hilarious Jamaican jokes. There's one where he says, Damn it, woman, you're making me highly salasi. And I'm just like, oh, come on, man. Like, that's such a stupid but also hilarious joke. If you guys don't know who highly salasi is, Google it, Google Rastafarianism. There is a really great episode called The Luck of the Fryish. And in this episode, it reveals Fry's past. He ends up finding a seven-leaf clover. It's all about his relationship with his brother, their competitive relationship, and then what became of Fry's brother after Fry was frozen and sent into the future you know because for all his friends and family he just died yeah so yeah. it kind of like goes back and ties up some of those loose ends and it's really cool to see in this over the course of the series to see when they go back and tie up some of those loose ends it's a tear-jerking episode too and that brings me to the one i know you all hoped i would avoid but i'm not going to the most infamous episode of futurama and possibly one of the most infamous episodes of a tv show ever the total kick in the nuts jurassic bark this is uh, season four, episode seven, and I'm just going to spoil the episode for everybody who hasn't seen it. So if you do want to watch the episode first, 
stop now and watch the episode. It is a beautiful, incredible piece of writing that is all hilarious throughout, but it is brutal. It is one of the most brutal things ever. Basically, the concept of the episode is this. The ruins of old New York City are discovered, and it's basically Fry's old neighborhood. So in the future, they all go to visit it. And on display there is a petrified dog that is Fry's old dog. And the episode cuts back between what's happening in the year 3000 and what's happening in the year 1999. And it gives you this whole buildup to their building relationship between Fry and his dog, Seymour is the name of the dog. And in the future, they discovered that they can not just clone Seymour, but they can bring him back in the state that he was in when he died with all of his memories and everything. And they're going to be able to bring his dog back to Whoa. him. And then at the last second, Fry's like, no, don't do it. Don't do that. That's cruel because after I disappeared, Seymour lived to be 15 years old. You know, they discover how old he was when he died. And they're like, he's lived to be 15 years old. He had a whole life after me. He deserves to be at peace, you know, having lived his whole life. He forgot all about me. And then the very last thing that happens is the episode is it flashes back. And that's not what happened. It shows a long montage where the rest of Seymour's entire life is spent waiting for Fry to come back. And then he eventually just dies waiting for Friday to come back. And it is so sad. I got to watch that one. I haven't seen that yet. That sounds It's awesome. really hard to watch. It makes most people cry. It makes most people angry because Futurama is supposed to be, I don't want to say what they're supposed to be, far be it for me to put anything in a box, especially a show like this. But it did make a lot of people angry because it's so sad and it's so unexpected, you know, because the show is mostly irreverent and hilarious. Yeah, no, that's what I was asking is, you know, like what tone do you tune in for? Because, it, you know, for me, these television shows, I watch, you know, certain shows to put me in a certain state of mind. And it sounds like this episode really broke with that. Here's a great review I just found for the AV Club. An A rating for the episode and noticed how the last two minutes remain one of the most gutting scenes ever watched on television. Wow. Here's GQ said, legendary gut punching and likely reduce any non-sociopath to sobbing. So, you know, it's not just me who feels this way. It is a storied episode for that reason. I know we're kind of running a little long on this episode. I hope you guys don't mind listening to Futurama a little extra. We're running a little long on this one, but it's just such a fun subject for me and such a meaningful thing for me developing. It started when I was like 16, you know what I mean? Just at the right age. I was really like getting into sci-fi independently of this show coming out. I had already started Mystery Science Theater 3000 and reading Dune and, and this show really fed that love for me a lot. So it holds a really special place in my heart because it's very formative for me. But before we end the episode, I want to talk about a few more things. I want to talk about Rick and Morty. It's really hard to discuss Futurama at this point without bringing up Rick and Morty. And the reason I say that is because, you know, there was no contest for years of what's the best sci-fi comedy series. The other one was, what, the Jetsons? I can't remember a joke from the Jetsons. Yeah. As far as animated, yeah. I mean, it's just so rare, right? Even non-animated, what was another? I mean, Doctor Who, I guess. You know, and that's that's a comedy, but not like a yeah. e-slapper kind of comedy. Science fiction and comedy didn't have a lot of representation, really. There were some funny science fiction things before that, but nothing quite to this level or even really close. So when it came out, it was pretty much immediately the best science fiction comedy of all time. It held that title for a good 15 years or so until... Rick and Morty showed up. And then it's the, that's the first show that came along that challenged it for the mantle of greatest comedy show. Personally, I'm Team Futurama all the way. Yeah. Let me be clear. Rick and Morty makes me laugh my ass off. 
and it also is tear jerking sometimes. And I thoroughly enjoy Rick and Morty. I think it's a great TV show, but it's also a little toxic. And it also, <laughs> yeah, because of its nihilism, sure. it's kind of toxic in a way that Futurama never did that to me. It never made me feel disillusioned. You know, it, like it doesn't have that effect on me. I know I realize that different TV shows are supposed to have different effects, and I understand that. And also. Rick and Morty makes tons of great science fiction references all the time. It's a great reference TV show. And it has a pretty good amount of replay value, I think, too. And it's a really smart TV show as well. But it's just, I, I'll tell you what I think it is, is that I don't like it when people idolize sociopaths. I think when people are like, oh, I, I love the Joker. I, you know, I'm, I'm a Joker guy. I'm an American psycho guy. You know, I'm a Travis Bickle guy. You know, I'm like, that's, come on, man. You could do better than that. And I think and Rick Sanchez is definitely a sociopath. Yeah, and Rick Sanchez is he's that. You know what I mean? So when people are like, "Oh, this is the coolest character ever," I'm like, ah, "Come on, man, that's a little." That's, it feels immature to me, as I mean, and I know that's judgy, and I know I'm a judgy, judgy ass. But you know, sorry, I just it, I, 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 yeah. I like to think about what we can do better, not how shitty everything is. Yeah. But all that being said, I still will gladly put on Rick and Morty and watch it. Yeah. Maybe not a bunch of episodes in a row because then I'll start feeling mean, but it, it's funny. I just wanted to get that out there. We live in a great time where, you know, you can catch episodes of the Jetsons. You can watch Heavy Metal. You can watch Futurama. You can watch Rick and Morty. It's insane. Yeah. If you think about it, this era of always available 24-7 streaming is actually quite cool in that respect, you know? Yeah, in so many ways, I'll watch Futurama and say, even just 20 years later, some of those things that they were pitching as kind of futuristic are kind of commonplace now. Oh, you know, and it's, yeah. and it's just how science fiction is. Reality keeps catching up with science fiction because the science fiction comes first. Well, especially now, Winston, in this exponential age of progress as far as tech goes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. fuck. Dude, it is so different now. We have phones. We have like supercomputers in our pockets. Yeah. That wasn't like that 10 years ago, you know? I mean, things have really changed. When this show came on, there were no smartphones. You know, that wasn't a thing. Yeah. It's only going to get more intense as we enter, we create our own simulation. Yeah. So I'm going to have to go from science fiction to just pure horror, I think, eventually, just because reality <laughs> is getting darker and not more Futurama-like with silliness. That's why I kind of like fall back on Futurama because, you know, I know, it's a little bit of a comfort food, 100%. It's fun. I love comfort sci-fi. I don't know what it is about sci-fi, but I, that's my favorite brand. And that's why I brought it up earlier, circling back, is that for me, you know, that next generation OG Star Trek and Futurama, you know, I love that comfort food genre of sci-fi and it's very hard to find that's yeah. why i liked yeah. ready player one yeah ready player one definitely had a lot of that for sure uh you know and i agree i uh kind of find myself bouncing back and forth between the two you know kind of get a healthy balance of where it. dune is so like yeah, dune, dune is, is one of my favorites ever but it's very happy yeah it's right? yeah there's no fun in dune i'm compiling a list of the greatest science fiction novels of all time for future issue of the magazine right now and you know, in a way, uh -huh. it's tempting to put Dune at the top, but I'm like, yeah, but Dune has no sense of humor at all. At all. You know, not that I think everything has got to be everything either, you know what I mean? But it's kind of got that one tone throughout. Yes. It's very bleak. Very cool, very bleak, but I love it. It's one of my favorites. But, you know, again, I probably read Ready Player One more times than I have Dune. I've read Dune probably like five or six times, but... 
probably read Ready Player One a few more than that, just because I love diving back into that, you know. It's just a big world. That's great. When I watch Futurama, they reference Dune. Yeah. Okay, well, I think this was a fun episode. One of my favorites we've done in a while. Just get the relatively light. I know. Another great episode, and I'm stoked to do it. Futurama for life. You guys can bite my shiny metal ass. <laughs> and I just downloaded as we. This is how much in the future we are right now, Winston. I've already downloaded Planet of the Apes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm serious. I've already done it. You tell me we're not living in a simulation. It's so rad. <laughs> okay. All right, brother. I mean, this was awesome. I'm stoked. I got to uh, delve into your brain and what you dig about this. That was awesome. All right, bud. We'll talk again soon. Until next week. Yes. All right, brother. Late. Guys, if you're enjoying the Infinite Worlds podcast, you could definitely check out more Infinite Worlds related stuff by visiting our website, infiniteworldsmagazine.com. There you can subscribe to Infinite Worlds magazine. It's a full-color, ad-free science fiction magazine featuring stories, comics, and illustrations from creators all over the world. You can also sign up to our mailing list. You can follow us on Instagram at Infinite Worlds Magazine or on Twitter at IW Sci-Fi Mag. Also, you can find Nick the Tooth on Instagram at Nick the Tooth and follow his wild escapades. Theme song was written by Christopher Whitaker and our podcast is produced by Andrew Alonzo. Thank you.